It's me. It's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega here with episode 48 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network. And folks, you may be hearing a slightly more subdued than normal uh, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega today because I'm actually recording from an undisclosed location, a hidden panic room within the current iteration of Sensational Manor our home here in Napa, California. Um, We're on summer vacation schedule here at the Manor. So both of my children, Miss Sensational 1, age 16, and Miss Sensational 2, age 12, are home for the summer, are pretty much home 24-7, Monday through Friday, that's not even true, Sunday through Saturday, is that, or Sunday through Sunday, I don't know, every freaking day of the week, every all day, every day. Um, But, uh, Miss One has a chum over at the house today, and so I couldn't really be out in the main room screaming and yelling all the various takes, thoughts, ruminations that you didn't ask for and never needed that normally I bring to you by way of the podcast. I couldn't be out there in the main room in full throat, as it were, so I'm hidden away in a secret chamber in the house, and I'm trying not to be super loud. Loud enough but not super loud. In any case, uh, what are we going to talk about here on this 48th episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network? Well, we're going to talk about a few things today. I think one thing we're going to start with is um, talking about um, some takeaways that I have had upon listening to uh, the most recent episode of our flagship show, IC Robots' own world's famous IC Robots show. Um, Then we're going to have a little uh, cautionary tale, a little PSA about genoveganism, about the worldview espoused on this show. Then we're going to talk about circuses and clowns. And that'll take us just about to the end of this 48th episode. So getting down to brass tacks when it comes to what I wanted to talk about concerning the world's famous IC Robots radio show. First off, I need to say once again that um, while I find it hard to believe that anyone listening to this show would not already and also be listening to our flagship content on the world's famous IC Robots show, uh, just to put it out there, just in case uh, there's an odd duck out there among the tens of ones, uh, do yourself a favor and check it out. Go to the podcast platform of your choosing, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever the Google Podcast gimmick is, whatever, wherever else people get their podcast feeds. Search IC Robots Radio, hit the subscribe button, and you will automatically receive all of our content that comes down the pike direct to whatever device you're using to access said platform. And alongside this show, alongside everything else on the network, please check out the world's famous IC Robots show. It is uh, the current 
centerpiece, the crown jewel of our network. Uh, this here that you're listening to is simply a companion piece. You need to get over to the World's Famous Icy Robot Show. But anyway, I wanted to shout out that one of my favorite uh, bits that's been going on uh, since the show restarted, reformed as World's Famous... Um, I think I even talked about this already once before on a previous episode of my show, but I'm really digging Icy Robot's whole um, unpacking of obscure trading cards. He's done Dick Tracy trading cards. Um, he's done, ah, he did some weird, it, it was like a similar to Garbage Pail Kids, but I think they were like cartoon fake gross out sports characters or something like that. I can't even remember what they're called now. Um, on his most recent episode, he was talking about some Cindy Lauper trading cards. And um, much like I see robots, you know, Cindy Lauper played a pivotal role, an iconic role in my own imaginal uh, landscape, my own coming into fruition as a human being, uh, aesthetic worldview as I was a youth and I was uh, trying to figure out how to look at the world, what to see, what lens to see it through. Cindy Lauper, both her imagery and her music played a large part in that journey. Uh, so I appreciated hearing about her being um, made to think about her because she's one of those figures that was so larger than life, so pivotal, but sometimes falls through the cracks because you don't hear about her as much these days. But it got me to thinking as it does every time that uh, Icy Robots tackles obscure trading cards on his show, about some cards that I had. And I've, I mentioned on a previous episode, he's got me thinking like I had some weird RoboCop 2 trading cards and all, all kinds of just... It, where did these come from? What, who decided what to make trading cards about? Because there seems to be very little rhyme or reason. And then like, how did I, as a young person, decide to purchase these strange trading cards? I, I don't remember but I remember having them. But anyway, Cindy Lauper got me to thinking about a set of cards I had, and they were like rock cards. They were like cards about different rock uh, personalities. But it was funny because they weren't even like, um, you know, I, it would make more sense if they were, you know, heavy metal trading cards or, or uh, hip-hop trading cards. Um, that, that's, a, that's a category that Icy Robots has tackled, some UMTV Raps trading cards. But... Uh, these were just like standard rock from like 1984 trading cards. So you have like, I, I remember there was like a Huey Lewis, not even Huey, you know, I think there was like a Huey Lewis in the news, like the band trading card, but then there was an individual Huey Lewis card. Um, the card that sticks out the most in my mind from that set that I had was um, they had a card for this fellow named Adam Ant. And I swear to God, you know, I listened to a lot of popular music. I listened to a lot of rock music growing up in the 80s. And I, this trading card is really the only evidence that I ever saw of this Adam Ant character. But because I had this trading card set that had an Adam Ant card in it, I was always convinced that there was this huge rock star somewhere out in the world named Adam Ant. And I just somehow kept missing him because, by God, I knew he was a big deal because I had the trading card. Um... I do think I saw him once. Was he in an episode of Northern Exposure? I think he was. Northern Exposure was not a show that I watched in any great uh, 
depth on my own, but I would watch my parents watching it when I lived at my parents' house, and I do seem to remember that. And there's actually a tie-in to Northern Exposure um, in the uh, circus portion of the show coming up in a bit. But anyway, j just uh, getting me to think about my own obscure trading cards, I wanted to um, see if I could find out uh, what those were. And I did manage to track down what they were. Um, those rock trading cards. They mm -hmm. were a 1985 series of rock star concert cards. Uh, and of course, I had the uh, information on them and it has since evaporated into ether. Let's see if I can find it again. One moment, please. Uh, yes, so they were a, as I said, a 1985 series of trading cards put out by a company known as AGI, not one that I am familiar with. And they featured such uh, um, luminaries. Let's see, I got, I got the whole, uh, uh, it's a 108 card set, so I'm not going to name everyone that was featured. But we, you know, you had your usual suspects, you had your Rolling Stones, you had Ozzy Osbourne, Scorpions, ACDC. Then uh, Stephen Percy of Rat got his own card. There we got number six on this list, Adam Ant. Uh, Patty Smythe of the band Scandal, weren't they um, uh, breaking down the walls of heartache, baby? That, that was Patty Smythe, right? Yeah, so she had a card. Uh, Wham! had a group card. 38 Special had a group card. The Police had a group card. Oh, there were two Adamant cards, at least. Um, there's that Huey Lewis card. So, um, let's see. If I click on Adam Ant here, um, if I can find the one that I had. Okay, so the one that I had, it features a, um, you have to flip the card vertically. It's like a wide angle picture of him. And he's some glammy looking fellow, uh, British glammy looking individual with eye makeup. Um, and what does it say here on the back? Uh, Rockstar concert cards, Adam Ant, birthday, November 3rd, place of birth, London, England, home, London, England, instruments lead vocals. Adam and the Ants ate up the British charts in 1980 to 81 with Kings of the Wild Frontier and a wild and woolly show seen throughout the US, England, Europe, Australia. Sorry, I'm really having to strain my eyes here. Oh, because oh, this is so small, but now it's zooming in, but it's zooming in all crazy. Let's see. Uh, now I'll just try to look at it small again. Uh, where were we? Um, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I can't really read this. It's way too small and it's, 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 uh, Causing me to go blind. But uh, I was just happy to find out that I wasn't imagining this. There was this Adam Ant card out in the world. I did have it. I do recall it. It's just a strange series of trading cards, as many in these obscure sets are. So food for thought. Um, just a shout to check out uh, ISR's much more uh, in-depth coverage of uh, obscure trading cards because he actually tracks them down and has the, the, the real packs, which he opens on air. So you can go listen to that over on the world's famous show. This is Lee. It's spelled L-Y and it's very useful. Let me show you. You're wearing your squeaky shoes and right there taking a snooze is a tiger. So how do you walk on by? Silently, silently, silent L-Y. You're a secret agent man who's after the secret plan. How do you act so they don't know you're a spy? Normally, normally, normal L-Y. 
So much like the Adam Ant trading card and that attendant rock trading card set from, what was it, AGI? Whatever I said it was, who knows, who cares? <laughs> Details. We'll save those for the uh, engineers out there, am I right? Anyway, um, yeah, similar to the Adam Ant trading card and that set, um, that song we just heard a portion of, that L.Y. song, um, was one that I remembered was out there somewhere. And it's been stuck in my head probably for the last 40 plus odd years. And I finally tracked it down. It was um, from the often overlooked but never duplicated children's PBS show from back in the day. I don't know if it still exists. I don't know that it does. But it was around when I was a child. Um, the Electric Company. Now, the Electric Company came on at some point. It was in the same programming arc as like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street. I think it came, over, came on after Sesame Street. Um, I think it was Mr. Rogers, then Sesame Street, then Electric Company. So Electric Company, I did not get to see as much as I got to see the first two shows. Because the first two were part... Uh, it was like the two shows and no questions asked I was allowed to watch on TV on any given day. Maybe if no one was paying attention, I could squeeze in Electric Company. But pretty sure... Pretty, even if I did manage to pull off Electric Company, then the next show I was on was a science show called 321 Contact. I never got past the, the credit, opening credits of 321 Contact. Always got the vaudeville cane treatment before that happened. So Electric Company was something that I, I've seen and I've seen snippets of and I've seen uh, you know segments from and they're in, embedded in my mind, but I did not. I was never as intimately familiar with Electric Company as I was with um, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. I remember I was afraid of the beginning of Sesame Street, or of Electric Company rather, because someone would yell out, hey, you guys, and for whatever reason, as a, as a four-year-old, uh, five-year-old, that scared me. Um, but I was intrigued by Electric Company because they had these random uh, live-action Spider-Man sequences, which I don't remember much of the details of, but I just remember they existed. Also, Morgan Freeman was on that show before he was Morgan Freeman. I mean, he was Morgan Freeman, but it was before he was the Morgan Freeman that we know. Um... But that L.Y. song, unfortunately, <laughs> one of the Lees that is not covered in that tune is literally. And I just wanted to give a quick PSA, a quick shout out to listeners um, of the Gino Vega podcast. Um, we are not a literal podcast. The Gino Vegan worldview is um, very much not a literal one. It is a impressionistic one, an abstract one, an ironic one. Um, not, not like obnoxiously, cloyingly ironic, like the young bucks or anything like that, but you know, it just, it, it, we're here, this is a bit, we're here to have some fun. We're here to shoot the breeze. We're here to, you know, I've got to come up with stuff to say over the course of 30 minutes or whatever. So not everything I, I, I say is something that in reality, literally I would uh, die on a hill for, you know, it's just, uh, just, just gabbing. Um, so uh, when you're, when you're spending some time in the Gino Vegan world, in the Vegaverse, as it were, just remember to keep, to keep, to keep kind of a, a, a lighthearted take with what you hear. That 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 uh, uh, mileage may vary. Uh, objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are. Is it further? I can't remember. I don't know. But in any case, I, I just want to tell a funny story about literalism because it, it, it's such a strange, rampant thing in our world. Of course, of course, there are instances in life where it is very critical of critical importance to, to be literal, to be 100% what you're saying is the truth and, and use facts and don't spin a yarn. And, and 
this, that, and the third. But there's certain instances where it just like mind boggles me how literal people are. And it's usually like flip-flop. Like people, you know, you got mutants out there not being literal about things that should be literal. And then you've got wackos being literal in strange forums like we're going to talk about here in a second. But the other day, I was trying to watch a pro wrestling show. Um, trying to watch a show put on by a pro wrestling company called Ring of Honor. And there's a show called Best in the World 2021. Um, but in order to watch the show, I paid $10 to watch it through a streaming service called Fight TV. F-I-T-E dot TV. And so I logged on to watch the show. And um, it was during the free pre-show portion of the uh, program. And logged in to watch the show. And I was watching it on my laptop. And there's a little chat room. Um, on the side of the screen, if you didn't maximize the video screen. And people were kind of, you know, uh, shooting the breeze in the chat room. And I wasn't really paying much attention to it, but then I saw that there was someone in the chat room logged on under the name Dave Meltzer. And uh, Dave Meltzer is a uh, uh, famous figure in the world of deep professional wrestling fandom. Um, if you're a, a hardcore wrestling geek, you know of Dave Meltzer. He's kind of a, He kind of pioneered the world of journalism in professional wrestling. Because wrestling journalism is very strange because it's not like a, uh, the same thing as like a sport that's that's open to the media. It's this weird carny thing that does actually doesn't really want people reporting on it. So Dave's journalism is not really uh, what you would expect out of mainstream journalism. It's, you know, reposting rumors and, and, and uh, such gossip that he gets from sources he has on the inside, which I mean, real journalists do it to a degree too, but it's, it's just a different scene. I don't want to get into it here. I don't want to describe it, but it's a different animal than regular journalism. It's like wrestling journalism is its own thing. And Dave Meltzer unequivocally invented the genre. A few other people too are in there, but Dave is like the, the, the uh, pinnacle of, of that uh, genre. Uh, but anyway, so someone had logged in as Dave Meltzer. Obviously it wasn't Dave Meltzer, but he was, the guy was being funny because he was posting stuff like uh, sources tell me CM Punk is in the building, which not going to get into the details, but it, it, that's an outlandish claim, not true. But it, he, he was joking, being funny, that I'm Dave Meltzer making these outlandish claims. Because oftentimes Dave is, is accused of being uh, uh, inaccurate or, or believing what he's told too readily. So, haha, this guy was being funny. So I started being funny, too, and I started asking him, oh, hey, Dave. Um, and then, I, you know, I won't belabor you with the details, but I, I would ask him these, like, fake questions that one would ask Dave Meltzer, kind of as a joke. And he was giving me fake answers as a reply. So it was a very funny way to kind of kill the time as we're sitting through this boring pre-show. whole show ended up being really boring, and I regret watching it. But uh, anyway, shooting the breeze, it's really funny. Then this guy busts in, and um, it's just the most literal guy known to man. And I didn't realize this at first, but he got irate at the Dave Meltzer guy. Because I think, at first I think he thought it was Dave Meltzer, and then he was furious that someone went, why would you say you're some, someone that you're not? It's like, because it's a joke. It's a bit in a chat room. Um, but then I was making a joke because there was a wrestler on the screen that, uh, looked a lot, at least to me, like this wrestler that used to be known as Damian Sandow in WWE, but it was not Damian Sandow. And I was like, Hey guys, look, it's Damian Sandow. And this guy just flew off the handle. The guy in the chat room was like, that is not Damian Sandow. Damian Sandow uh, is now known as, uh, Aaron Stevens. He signed with the NWA, which is the National Wrestling Alliance. He's just like, give me this whole thing. And I was like, Oh, the NWA, but wait. You forgot about Dre. And it's uh, like, are you serious or joking? Are you simply ignorant? And it's like, bro, having fun in a... We're watching indie wrestling. Indie wrestling, my friend. We're dorks. Like, to, to be in 
this niche group watching individuals pretending to fight, and you're not even watching the mainstream iteration of individuals pretending to fight, you're watching this weird sub-niche version of individuals pretending to fight, you're a dork. I mean, I, I'm, I, I put myself in that category. And so we can have a little fun in here. We can make some jokes, but this guy was just not having it. And just like anyone that said anything was just spouting off all these facts and like blah, 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 blah. This, it's like, bro, I have been watching this entertainment genre for probably 40 years now. Believe me, I know all the facts. I'm here to have some fun in the chat room. And that's how I'd like you to think about the uh, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega show on the IC Robots Radio Network. Just want to give you that PSA. Let's keep it light. Let's cure the world of this cancer of literalism. L-Y. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to our world of magic and enchantment, the all-new 15th anniversary edition of Circus Vargas. Relive the magic in San Bernardino National Orange Show now through Thursday, February 21st. Pomona, Indian Hill Mall, February 22nd through the 25th. Coming soon to La Habra and Santa Ana. Tickets at Ticketron. Get free kids' coupons at Safeway. This Circus Vargas, I remember uh, I woke up in the middle of the night once when I was a kid, and I probably had like a flu or something or some bug, and just just felt totally, you know when you are, um, uh, <clears throat> some kind of bug or flu first hits you, um, there's almost kind of a jolt, like you're just like beyond alert, beyond aware, because something, all of a sudden you just feel wrong, and then you start to feel sick after that. I woke up with that jolt, um, just feeling hyper aware in my bedroom. Looking into the darkness, and all I could hear booming in my mind was, The big one is back, Circus Vargas, Circus Vargas, the big one is back, see Circus Vargas! So to this day, I associate getting sick, which thankfully I don't do that often, with, see Circus Vargas! Um, so we're not actually going to talk about Circus Vargas, we're going to talk about circuses, but we're going to talk about a very different kind of circus. Um... I was recently listening to someone describe um, uh, a 17-year-old was being asked by some older wrestling fans if it's normal to be a teenager and be a wrestling fan in 2021, and it most certainly is not. It was when I was in high school. It was very common to see people wear Stone Cold shirts, NWO shirts, but that, you know, the wrestling industry has long since imploded, and there's like probably like, you know, 500,000 wrestling fans in the United States now, um, and certainly not hanging out at high schools for the most part. Although there was this one freakish example of a 17-year-old wrestling fan. But he was saying that, like, me going up to people in my high school and trying to talk to them about wrestling or tell them I like wrestling would be no different than if I went up to them and told them that I was into circus clowns. And I got me thinking, and this has been a topic I've wanted to talk about for a while, but um, in a weird way, circuses, one particular circus is another huge influence, another huge tentpole in the Gino Vegan worldview, in the Vegaverse. And um, that circus and my experiences with that circus, I now realize are what led me. I mean, it didn't lead me directly, but it caused my mind, caused my imagination to be fertile ground for becoming such a huge fan of pro wrestling a little bit later on in life. Um, so saying one is a fan of circus clowns almost is akin to wrestling. We're going to talk about that. In any case, when I was young, up until about the age of five, I lived in San Francisco, San Francisco, California, a city that you may know I nowadays abhor. 
cannot stand San Francisco in the pantheon of larger American cities. But when I was a kid, it was a different place. Um, I don't, still don't know if I would like it, but as a kid growing up there, sub five years old, I did like it. I found it to be a very magical place. Um, you know, you'd walk down the street and some old wino would reach out and pull a, a coin out from behind your ear. Um, that would happen quite often as I was walking around with my parents in San Francisco. And so I thought that there was this, I, I've talked about, I think I talked about this in the very first episode ever of the of the show, but like I, I thought that there was essentially this kind of like underground network of, of, of magic dudes that were able to um, pull coins out of ears. I would see, you know, guys would be uh, on the street corner doing a ventriloquist dummy act. Um, there was a guy in Golden Gate Park, the park in San Francisco, the big park in San Francisco, called the Human Jukebox. And they had this cardboard box and every now and again, you never knew when, the little curtains in the box would fly open. He would be in there crazily playing a trumpet, and he was the human jukebox. And then it would shut down again. Um, another another entity I talked about, I think, on the first episode of the show. All, all these things have greatly influenced my imagination as a youth. But um, first and foremost, among many of those for my time in San Francisco was uh, my parents would take me and their uh, best friend couple and uh, their daughter would go too to these performances of a circus in Golden Gate Park, a circus known as the Pickle Family Circus. The Pickle Family Circus performed at Golden Gate Park. I don't know how frequently they did, but that's where they started out performing. There were free shows. Um, and it was this, what they described as a European-style circus, and that it wasn't a Circus Vargas or Ringling Brothers with, like, tigers and lions and blah, blah, blah. It was much smaller scale. Because what you what you could picture, you know, a circus that would be able to travel the the, the European countryside because they can all fit, you know, they're a caravan of a few vehicles. They're not carrying all this little huge um, industrial production stuff and, and animals and, and so on and so forth. So Pickle Family Circus was was largely um, gymnasts, jugglers, clowns, and then they had a jazz band that was like the music, you know. Play the music while people were juggling. Play the music during the clown show. Play the music before the before the show. Um, but, uh, I liked, you know, the, the trapeze stuff and the juggling. Okay. But I was there for the clowns. And when we're talking about clowns in the Pickle Family Circus, we're not talking about clowns like the, you know, kind of stereotypical, what is it, Pennywise, it, you know, I'm afraid of clowns. It's sort of like really kind of, Bozo the Clown, Krusty the Clown. These were a different breed of clown in the Pickle Family Circus. It was a trio of clowns, three clowns. You had Lorenzo Pickle, who was the guy that actually ran the circus in kayfabe in real life, uh, but he was also a clown. And he had um, wore like a red bowler hat and like a black jacket and a striped white and black striped shirt. I think he had a red clown nose. Um, then there was Mr. Sniff. Mr. Sniff wore like a raincoat. I think he might have worn like some kind of floppy hat, maybe even like a pilot hat or something. I don't know. Um, maybe maybe it was just a, a fedora type hat. I don't know. In any case, Mr. Sniff raincoat, and then he had a big kind of Humpty Hump nose before Humpty Hump was Humpty Hump. Um, maybe he saw the Pickle Family Circus. He was from the Bay Area. R-I-P, T-R-O-Y. Um, but then, um, oh, and then the third clown was Willie the Clown. Willie the Clown had a white face. He, he was the most traditional kind of clown looking. White face, shock of... Uh, Red hair, red clown nose, and more like an oversized suit. And the three of them would do these bits, would do these storylines. Um, it often involved a, kind of a misunderstanding, and then they would have some slapstick and maybe get into a brawl. 
Um, and then reconcile afterwards, but maybe there's a little more slapstick. And then there was some, uh, for a while, um, when, uh, Lorenzo Pickle's son became older, they did a bit where, um, the son was like a Pinocchio, like a ventriloquist dummy version of Lorenzo Pickle and he would come to life and stuff like that. But, so anyway, there was, a, I, I don't remember all the specific specifics because it was so long ago, but I do remember that there were very, for me as a child, riveting storylines being portrayed by these clowns, um, Accompanied by um, usually some kind of predicament, uh, some kind of uh, conflict between them. Didn't we talk about this not too long ago? The the the, the thematic elements of all uh, the greatest uh, basic storytelling: protagonist, antagonist, uh, conflict, conflict resolution. That's what basically was happening in these clown storylines. And um, it occurred to me um, a while back. Uh, I think it was. Um, the son of Lorenzo Pickle did a documentary about his dad because I think uh, the Pickle Family Circus got bigger and bigger and bigger and got to where they were performing at like the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco and it became more of this like kind of like black tie affair like you had to pay to get in it was expensive it was like a fancy San Francisco thing to go to um, got bigger and bigger and bigger but then the clowns um, not Lorenzo because the circus was his deal but the other two clowns um, Mr. Sniff was a guy named Jeff Hoyle and he went on to do other stuff in the performing arts that I, you know I'm not really familiar but I know he had a for that scene, a successful career. But then the one that really shot to the stratosphere was uh, Willie the Clown. Uh, is none other than Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin has been in all kinds of stuff. He was in the Cosby... He was the vaudeville guy in the Cosby show that was like pretending to walk down steps, you know, in a box. Um, he he was in Northern Exposure, I believe, um, if I recall correctly. Uh, he, for a long time, was that obnoxious Mr. Noodle guy on the Godforsaken Elmo's World, the, the segment that killed Sesame Street for me. But yeah, he was Mr. Noodle on Sesame Street. All uh, a ton of the performers for the Pickle Family Circus are also featured in um, the Robert Altman Popeye movie. Like you know, the guy that's like running after his hat, can't catch his hat. That guy, I can't remember which one it was, but I remember there's kind of these scenes in the town um, early in the movie um, at Popeye, and a lot of the people, a lot of the extras, a lot of the performers in that scene were uh, cast members of the Pickle Family Circus. But um, as it got bigger, as those, as those guys left eventually for greener pastures, the whole thing kind of imploded. But I guess anyway, life was hard on uh, Lorenzo Pickle. Um, primarily due to the crazy slapstick stuff they would do. He had a lot of physical wear and tear on his body, ended up having problems with pain medication, and just really kind of hit a bad place. And that's what the, the his son did a, a documentary about, kind of like the, the, the dark side of clowning. Uh, but when I heard about that, it struck me how parallel that is to professional wrestling because you have wrestlers all the time. That's like, everyone's all hopped up on this show now, Dark Side of the Ring. Dark Side of the Ring, I'm sure it's a great show, but it's kind of like a show for people that all of the subjects that Dark Side of the Ring covers, if you're a wrestling fan, have been covered to death already like 10 times, which is also a sad commentary on the state of wrestling today because there's no new topics to talk about. Dark Side of the Ring is presenting these stories that are were old stories 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But in any case, I, it all of a sudden struck me like a bolt that there was such a similarity between professional wrestling, um, these larger-than-life flamboyant characters having a protagonist-antagonist conflict-conflict resolution, but that the first place I saw this, the first time I saw this unfolding in front of my eyes were the clowns of the Pickle Family Circus. So it's just, I don't know. I don't know what, what the point of all this is, but I guess I just, I mainly wanted to give a shout to the Bickle Family Circus because it, it, it's such a weird, it was something that happened, it predated, you know, social media, obviously. It predated, uh, just, there's not a lot of footage of it out there. They're, all I have is my memories, and there, and there are probably 
so many people that have seen things that have been influenced by it, that have been touched by it, that don't know it existed. So I guess I kind of wanted to, to scream out into the abyss there that the Pickle Family Circus once did happen, once did exist, and unbeknownst to it, and for better or worse, uh, in the scales of the universe is for you to decide, it helped launch the Vegaverse. It, it was the, the one of the elemental, fundamental, primal blocks in the Vegaverse. So thank you, Pickle Family Circus. Thank you for letting me uh, share those memories with you. Uh, go ahead and Google it. I don't know how much is out there. You might find some. Keep in mind, too, you're looking for stuff. If you want to see the core Vegan uh, era of the Pickle Family Circus, you look for stuff from, like, you know, late 70s through, like, mid-80s. Because at a certain point, I think they sold it and it became this whack version in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. You don't, don't want to look into that. But any, anything with, like, Lorenzo Pickle in it, anything with uh, Willie the Clown uh, or Mr. Sniff, if you want, want to see, uh, here's another funny wrestling parallel. The last one I'll leave you with here is um, a while back, um, friend of the show and a uh, friend of mine in real life, um, Jerry, um, owner over at the Next Record Store in Santa Rosa, California, went to a couple of wrestling shows in San Francisco at this high school. Um, it's called like John Connell High School or something like that. I, I probably have that wrong name wrong. But it was this wrestling promotion that was like bringing in these crazy big names from Japan. But then they were just doing the shows at this random high school gym and it was like a benefit for the school so like we saw juice and thunder liger there we, uh, we saw um the uh legendary june akiyama of pro wrestling noah make his united states debut and since the i mean the only appearance he's made in the united states we saw at this little high school gym in san francisco but anyway it cracked me up because i found out that that was the first place that the pickle family circus ever performed so again um the parallels are there should you choose to look for them. That's true with a lot of things in our life. A lot of things, uh, I believe, and whatever your own personal narrative is, if you, if you stand back and look at it, it all ties together. What a time is a flat circle. Um, and speaking of which, uh, we're going to get out of here a little earlier than normal this week. I feel like I, I'm in this weird setup, and uh, I, I've, I've said what I, I said my piece. I've said what I needed to say for this week. Uh, we will be back next week. I apologize for not being here last week. We were recovering from the 4th of July holiday. But we will be back next week. What we will be talking about, God only knows. But um, hopefully between now and then, I will figure it out. But until then, uh, for the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network, it's me, it's me, it's Gino V signing off. What am I? I'm Popeye, the sailor, and I am what I am, what I am, and I am what I am, and that's all that I am, because I am what I am. Uh, you got it? I think so, yeah. And I've got a lot of muscle, and I only got one eye, and I never hurt nobody's, and I'll never tell a lie. Top to me bottom, from the bottom to me top, that's the way it is, till the days that I drop. What am I? Wondering about myself, to be or not to be, who's acting? I can open up an